Good morning. Our scripture reading from today is from Acts 26, verses 1 through 32, and it is on page 6 of your bulletin if you would like to read along. Acts 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities." On one of those journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the gods. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains." 
The king rose, and with him the governor, and Bernice, and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of being in your house, of being surrounded by your people who have been touched by you in some way. Thank you, Jesus, that you are committed to changing our hearts, and we pray that you would do so this morning by the power of your spirit uh, through your word. So visit upon us, Father, as a father that delights in his children, and lead us, Father, to bear witness to who you are and what you have done through Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's not always easy to give witness to the truth. I was in the parking lot one day, and after going to the store, I got in my car, began to back out. And at the same time, it was one of those deals that uh, another car was backing out right across from me. And so, I, of course, I had to right away, and I was backing out. And I could see in the rear view that they were backing out, and they were close. And I said, okay, I need to hurry up and get back in my spot. And so I did that, and then they proceeded closer and closer. Bam! They knocked my bumper off. And I was like, oh, man. You know, it's like the type of thing where whenever that happens, you don't necessarily think about, oh, my car is ruined. If you're like me, you're thinking, man, what a convenience. Now I got to deal with this. Oh, man. But nonetheless, I got out of the car, and we, you know, assessed the situation. One of the first things that came out of the mouth of the other driver was, uh, you hit me. And I looked at his car. I looked at my car. And his car was out of its parking space, and my car was in the parking space that I was in. I was like, how, how did he put that together? I don't know. But uh, I was like, I need a witness. So I saw someone. She was walking with her two boys. I said, hey, excuse me, did you see what happened? And she said, yes, I saw what happened. I said, would you be a witness for me? Can I get your number? So she gave me her number and everything. And I was on the phone with the insurance company one day. And they reported to me like, yeah, you know, the other driver said you hit him. And I was like, whoa, 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 I have a witness. And so I called the number once, twice, three times, maybe five times (laughs) to get no one. No witness. No witness would step forward. And so it's so hard to give witness to the truth, especially when it's going to cost you something. Right. It may cost you your reputation. It may cost you embarrassment. It may cost you to be on the hook for somebody else. It's hard to show up to give that credible witness to someone who may be in need. I think that may be a little bit harder even than to give false witness. But it's hard to give witness to the truth. And as we come to this story that Rachel just read, We see that that's what Paul is doing. He's standing before kings and important people of the day. He's standing before them because Jesus brought him to stand before them. Jesus said, you are indeed my chosen instrument that I will send to the Gentiles and to kings and to their kings. 
And so here he is at the end of Acts after many years of ministering around the Mediterranean and different countries and places. Here he is back in uh, near Jerusalem there in Caesarea Philippi. Here he is bearing witness to Jesus. And Paul is bearing witness to this. Jesus is the hope of the resurrection. That was about the only thing that he had to say to people. Jesus is the hope of the resurrection as he went around. And we see this even in this defense that he gives in verse 6. He says, now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship day and night. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? The king that Paul is referring to is King Agrippa. King Agrippa who always had his nose on the ground for what was going on. King Agrippa knew about the Jews and all that they were going through and all that was going on within the land. So quite frankly, he knew about Paul. He had heard of the accounts. He knew about Jesus. He knew that Jesus died on the cross. And we recognize that's not something that Paul is bringing up here about Jesus' death on the cross. Everybody heard about that. The one question that's before them is, did Jesus, was he raised from the dead? And so Paul is here bearing witness to that before them. To King Agrippa, he wasn't a Jew, he was a Gentile king, but he did worship as a Jew, and he kept his mind on the things that concerned them. And in one way, he should have, right? Because this is King Agrippa, the great-grandson of Herod the Great. They, have, they come from the line of Esau, who is Jacob's brother. Jacob went to have 12 sons that became the children of Israel, a great nation that God decided to bring his covenant through, to share with them the covenant promises of God, to share with them about who he is, the God who is there, who comes to rescue his people. But if you remember the story, Esau, that great hunter that he was, he decided to sell his birthrights to Jacob one day. And so Herod the Great and his sons and his sons after him on down to Agrippa, they were practicing the same thing. They were, they were lusting after power, but giving up things for that, giving up their own name, not standing on the truth, but being in positions of power. But you notice in the text, Paul gives him utmost respect because he is the king that God has chosen for different reasons in the Roman Empire. And so here is Paul standing before him, making his defense with, with his accusers in, in view. He's giving witness to the resurrection. He's giving witness that but beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ was surely resurrected. And Paul shares his testimony of the fact. And so here he is willing to give witness to the frailty of life. He's willing to stand and give witness to the freedom that comes in Christ. 
He's standing giving witness to the firstborn among the dead by God. So we too must give witness to frailty. Paul says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So before Paul was, before Christ, Paul was this broken man, easily led into evil. He simply could not do enough to earn righteousness, nor could he do enough to fill up his rageful heart to satisfy the lust of death that he carried around day after day against those who will call on the name of Christ. By the letter of the law, the authority of the chief priest, he persecuted. He cast death ballots and severely punished. Paul was a frail man, a deceiver, attempting to make people blaspheme so he can lock them up. In his rage and fury against people made in the image of their creator, he went beyond the wall of Jerusalem, crossing several stakes, if you will, mowing them down with a heart of utter contempt with the instruments of death. This is what he did to Christ. He persecuted him. And here's Paul giving witness to this fact. Not ashamed because now he's in Christ. He's giving witness to the frailty of life that he once lived and how much he needed Jesus. This too is hard to give witness to. I was sitting out one day with a neighbor of mine and they had been walking with the Lord and going to church for quite some time. And they lived a certain lifestyle that they knew the scripture. They could quote it backwards and forward. As far as they knew, their life was okay. Everything was right. They were standing on Jesus. The more we got into the conversation, the more I began to share a little bit about, you know, the frailty, frailty that I face in my life. And inviting my friend to do the same. It was hard to do. It was hard to admit that they too once lived in a state of debauchery before the Lord, a state of moving away from God. Even as a Christian, it was hard for them to name their besetting sin that they deal with day after day. But you see, when we are able to admit our frailty, we're opening the door to grace. We're saying, yes, Lord, I am weak. Yes, Lord, I need you. Yes, I need your sustaining hand. Because if we do not recognize and witness to our frailty in life, we are simply saying, I got this. I have the strength, oh Lord, to do it myself. And of course, we don't name our frailty just to name it. We name it because we are in dependency upon one another, upon Jesus Upon the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we don't touch our frailty because it is indeed overwhelming. We deny it. We're afraid of it. We, we're afraid of standing in the gap and, and making boundaries for ourselves at times. Because we want to continue to pretend and deny that there's something wrong. We've been taught to even put our best foot forward. And we should do those things, right? But what's at the heart of that? The heart of it needs to be, I'm standing in the need of prayer. I'm standing in the need of my Savior. I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to confess what I'm going through. 
I'm going to find some friends to confess what I'm going through because I need somebody to look into my life, to come with me to Jesus, to pray together. We need our frailty. It makes the gospel look that much more beautiful and attractive. It makes the gospel real in our lives because if we didn't have our frailty, how could we have the gospel? That's the very message, the good news that there is one who has claimed the victory over sin and death. And he is able to bring us up in due time to stand with him, to give witness to the fact that he brings us out of our most darkest moments. We must give witness to our frailty, like Paul is standing here, not afraid of naming the truth. But he goes on. He gives witness to freedom, and we ought to do the same. Paul was blinded by a great light of love, wasn't he, on that road? Falling to the ground, Jesus reveals himself to Paul. Jesus in verse 15, he recounts this. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. In this very moment, What is hope that comes into his presence? Who is this Lord that comes to him? The Lord that gives the ability to freely stand is the one that came before Paul on that road to Damascus. He is the Lord that gives him the ability to freely obey. This is the freedom to freely stand. Jesus says, verse 16, but rise, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness to the things in which you have seen in me and to those which I will appear to you. But rise, stand upon your feet. I've I've given you purpose. I've appointed you as my witness here. There are some things that I want you to see in me. I want you to tell it to the mountains. That's standing in freedom. And those that hear you, I want them to know that I'm delivering my people from sin and death. That's standing in freedom. And I'm opening their eyes and turning them from darkness to the light. That too is standing in the freedom of the Lord. I want you to... I want you to tell them that there is one who's powerful enough to free them from Satan, that great accuser of their souls. That's standing in the freedom of the Lord. And then that they may receive forgiveness for sin. What a beautiful thing that we have a God who died for our sins, the punishment that we deserve. What a beautiful thing that he declares us righteous, free from sin and death. That he has forgiven us. What love is this? That's standing in freedom. When we're able to say, I've been forgiven. I'm free in him. That one, Jesus. And and he tells Paul, I want you to be sanctified along with other brothers and sisters who have faith in me. That's standing in freedom. We're on this road together to be continually set apart. The reason why we can be holy is because God has given us his spirit to be holy one to another. There are many ways that we can set ourselves apart. You know, this morning, a lot of you guys are looking pretty good. You're set apart in your particular glory that God has given you. 
I'm not talking about your outfit. I'm just I'm talking about your faces, your countenance towards the Lord, leaning into him even this morning. You're doing this. You're freely standing in him. And as he has given us that freedom to stand on the rock of our salvation, he also gives us the freedom to do something that humbles me every single day. Freedom to freely obey. Paul told Agrippa here, O King Agrippa, verse 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to, in, to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles. He told King Agrippa that he was not disobedient to the call of God. He was not disobedient to the very purposes for which God sent him for. He went to witness straight away to those who were in Damascus, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the Gentiles that God appointed him. And this rings a bell, doesn't it? All the way back in Acts 1.8, Jesus told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Not you might. Someday you will. I don't know. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Even to Washington, D.C. How did the gospel come to Washington, D.C.? By the same power of God, the Holy Spirit. This is the power that gives us the ability to stand and to obey. This is the power that enabled Paul to obey even when he was being beaten and stoned and even in the midst of the king. He had great delight to stand before King Agrippa and Festus. He had great delight to tell them about his testimony and all the things that God had done in his heart and how his people longed for the resurrection. They're longing for Jesus. Don't you want that kind of power? You have that kind of power. That when the Lord speaks, you listen. That when he warns you, that you heed it. That when the Lord says go, you're out the door. You're willing to go for him. Obedience to the master not only entails doing what the master tells you to do. It means doing as the master does. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. The spirit lets us know that we're on mission for God and that we ought to obey. He convicts us in that truth and we want to obey because it brings delights to the Father, but also brings delights to, delight to us. This is the message. This is the messenger that he is carrying around to the nation as well. This threefold message of obedience. You know it well. Repent. Turn to God. Believe. Performing deeds and keeping with Repentance. Not the deeds of religious piety that ends in shame and not centered around freedom in Christ, 
not, not the traditions of men who, who want to kill when you do not follow their desires. Not, not the policies of a nation reducing people to the things of commerce or to being outsiders in the very world where God intends for them to live. Not, not that, not this type of obedience, but the one that says, I will turn and change my mind for the one that loves me. I will, I will turn to God, the God who has created me, the God that I, I know has laid down life for me, the God who woke me up this morning, who sees me, the, the, the God that has whispered in my ear during my time of distress, I turn to that God that I can trust and I will believe in him because I can do so by the power of his spirit. And notice he says, and performing the deeds and keeping with repentance. And you see, this, is not, this does not mean that I'm supposed to somehow show forth repentance by the good that I'm doing. No, this suggests that, hey, when you're walking in obedience to Christ, the shepherd of your soul, when you're walking in obedience to him, guess what? You're going to see fruit. You're going to see the fruit of repentance. You're going to see the deeds that let you know even that you're walking in the light. You're going to see genuine love. And it may shock you sometimes. Like, man, I remember when I hated that person. I have love for them now. You will see an abiding joy. Because you will remember there are times when you were grieving heart. And there was nothing that can pull you out of your depression. You will see the joy of the Lord is your strength. You begin to see the, the peace of God, the patience of God. The patience that give you an opportunity to live with your brothers and sisters in humility. Especially when they step on your toes. Or when they bump you some kind of way in life. Or when they say something that makes you mad. God will give you the patience to endure that conversation with them so that you will walk in obedience of his love. Some time ago, I was down in a rural area, deep down in Georgia, and I went to this church. I was younger then, and I was excited to be there because that's where the people of God were. And at the end of the service, the pastor received word from a mother in the church the mom came up to him and said it's my daughter's birthday uh would, would, would you mind like leading the people and singing happy birthday to her it would make her feel really special and so the pastor said oh after the service was over hey everyone hey let's sing happy birthday to mary and so they proceeded to do it and out the corner of my eye i saw one of his deacons I'm like oh shoot, that guy oh and it appalled me. I was like, oh, he's doing that to the pastor in the open of the congregation? And I walked over to him. I don't know what led me over. I just walked over to this deacon. And I said, sir, you don't respect the man of God? He said, get away from me. I know more about God than you will ever know. And I thought, wow. I, I mean, so, what can you say to that? I didn't have words for it. I was silent. I was like, I'm like, okay. All right. That's a tall tale if I ever heard one. But I didn't want to disrespect him. 
But I did notice that this heart to walk in the light, it's hard to walk in that freedom. It's hard to follow those that you may not respect. It's hard to obey God's word, to come to him. Sunday after Sunday, a week in and week out, we are called to go to have fellowship with other believers, maybe in, in one of the life groups or maybe in a prayer meeting. It's hard. We must give witness to the creator, the father in heaven who wants all men to be saved. We, we must be with him, slow to anger and abound in the steadfast love, bidding all people everywhere to repent to turn away from attempting to be God and to turn to the living and true God who has given them a clear demonstration of love. It is the freedom that comes through the obedience of Christ through his life, the death penalty of the cross and the great witness he gives through the resurrection, his own resurrection. This is the freedom that he brings to us. So if we are going to be delivered from the frailty of this life with the hope of freedom in this life and the next, we must constantly, persistently give witness to God's firstborn son. The scripture has made it plain here. Paul says in his great defense, in his witness before them there, to this day, verse 22, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said will come to pass, that Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to Gentiles. Paul has made this plain elsewhere in one of his letters to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is saying, he's making his argument that in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, the first man, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Christ is coming back because Christ was the first fruit. If you know anything about the first fruit of a harvest, he uses agricultural metaphor here. You, when you see the first fruit, it gives you an idea about the other fruit that will come. You will see the context of it and what it's made out of and how good the other fruit will be you also receive joy because you've seen the first fruit of your labor and you recognize that there's a chance that other fruit may come <clears throat> we may not feel this as much in the agricultural metaphor we're not living on farms but that's all they had to live off of what was grown from their land and so when they saw the first fruit there was hope that more will come. Likewise, Christ is the first fruit for us. So when we look at him, we see what we will be like when we are raised with him. And see, some deny that Christ was the first fruit. Some deny that he was indeed 
raised from the dead. But as we know from scripture, that Christ was seen by many people after he was raised from the dead. 500 at one time. That even his own disciples doubted that he was raised. It must be a ghost, they said at times. Even Philip said, let me touch your hands. Thomas said, let me touch your hands. Let me see the scars and the wounds so that I will know that you really are true. Christ is the first fruit showing that we too will be raised with him in glory. That we too will have imperishable bodies like his imperishable body. That we too will be in glory with him one day. So we give witness that Christ is the first fruit among many brothers and sisters. Our regeneration is insured, insured through his first fruit. We're born again, Peter says in 1 Peter 3. We're born again to live in hope to the resurrection of the dead. We have confidence of our justification. Romans 4, 25. The one who believes in him who is justified, who's justified the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. We have assurance of our resurrected bodies from scripture that if God raised Jesus from the dead, he will too raise us. Jesus is a witness to this fact. The father is a witness to this fact that Jesus will indeed come through with his promise of raising us with him at the last day. So as Paul continues to to share in defense, give witness before great and small, Festus interrupts him and shouts out to Paul. He shouts out in a loud voice, it says here in the scripture. Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind, he said. Paul said, I'm not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus, even there, showing him great and utmost honor and respect. But I'm speaking true and rational words. And then he turns to the king. He says, the king know about these things. He looked into these things. He's been on Twitter. He's seen these things. He's watched certain news channels. He knows what's going on. The king has looked into these things. And so I'm speaking to him boldly. I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For he has not been in a corner. Everyone knew about Jesus and what happened to Jesus. Everyone heard about Paul. Saul turned Paul who was shaking up the nations. Everybody knew that he was proclaiming the resurrection of the dead in Christ. And so he, after sharing his testimony here, he turns to King Agrippa and he asks him a question. Do you believe the prophets? Do you believe these things are true, King Agrippa? Do you believe with your heart based on my testimony given to the frailty of my own life and the freedom that has come in Christ? Do you believe that Christ was the firstborn to be raised from among the dead? Do you believe the prophets that foretold that he would rise from the dead, that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God? 
And so King Agrippa, knowing all these things, wasn't able to treasure them in his heart. But you know what? Paul had already done what God had called him to do. We're not in the business of converting souls. Conversion means a change of heart, repentance, turning to God, trusting in him. That's something that only God can do. But God has dispatched us as witnesses in life to what he has done, to the brokenness in this world and in our hearts as well. Even when people are pushed back against our testimony, that's okay. A seed has been planted. God will use that as he sees fit in due time. Let us water. Let us plant. But let's watch and see that God makes things grow. And so even though King Agrippa pushed back on him a little bit, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? He knew exactly what was going on. And Paul responded, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I, except for these chains. Maybe you're somebody here today, and this is your first time hearing about the resurrection. Maybe you're looking into the things of God. Pull somebody to a corner here today. Ask them about more about Jesus Talk to us about questions that you have about the faith. We would love to share with you. We would love to share what Christ has done in our lives. We're not ashamed of those things because we know that he covers us. And yes, it is hard at times to bear witness to the truth of God. But God is with with us. And when he gives you boldness to share, you will not be able to keep your mouths closed. Just like he gives us boldness to serve one another. We have to do it because we're quickened by his spirit. Don't get it twisted. It's by his spirit that we do these things. By his spirit, we can delight that we stand with Paul and we stand with Jesus, who's the first to witness the resurrection of the dead. Jesus Christ, when he was raised from the dead, knew that he was alive. Jesus knew that he was immortal at that time he knew that death was conquered he knew that there were many that wanted to see him and he would disclose himself to them in due time just as he does to this day when the message of God is shared to the people of God God moves on this their hearts and he opens their eyes to the truth of who he is So let's do that in our communities together. Let's do that to one another. For we need this gospel of grace. You know, Jesus, he was in a town called Nain. And a great crowd was around him as usual. Jesus had compassion on the mother. She was a widow. And her only son had passed away. And of course, it was important because that probably was the only son that that was the only son that she had. And no one wants to lose a child. He saw her, had compassion on her, said, do not weep. He came up. He, He touched the side of the casket. And the people stood still. And Jesus said these words. 
Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus does the same thing day in and day out. Jesus is raising dead hearts, stony hearts that are pushing against God. He's turning them towards the Father. He's giving many sons and daughters to the Father that they may be loved and loved well, that the hurt that they incurred in their past life, that God is bringing his healing, that the doubts that they once had about having a purpose in life, God has given them a sure purpose to bear witness to, to the one that has come and wipe away their sins. God is returning people to himself from every tribe, nation, and people around the world so that one day, we all can say together, Father, you have saved us. You have brought us into glory. That we will sing a new song to the Father when we all there together as the people of God, the bride of Christ, bear witness once and for all that everything that you said, Father, has been faithful and true. We're going to bear witness to the resurrection forever. And ever. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this word of assurance that you're with us. Thank you for the word of assurance that we will be with you. Thank you for the word of assurance that you will keep us. Thank you, Father, for moving upon our hearts, giving us a purpose in this world so that we can never say that we are, uh, we are without direction. For you dwell in us and you move through us. Thank you for your heavenly delight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.